If you will, take your copy of God's Word and open up to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. If, if you've ever spent any time in church, most likely you've seen this. If you've not seen it, you've probably seen somebody quote it on social media or something of that nature. So as you're finding your way there, um, a few years ago, both of my kids at various times ran cross-country for Jasper High School. And so they used to have an event called Vike for Life, you know, Go Vikes for Vikings, anyway, just to kind of fill that in so you understand what I'm saying. They'd have a Vike for Life 5K. Now listen, I am not a 5K runner. I'm not even going to pretend to be. But we went down there one day, and they were going to have the Vike for Life 5K. And so we show up, and we're just there basically to support everybody, cheer everybody on. I think Brogan was running at this time, and I had on a pair of blue jeans, and I had on a T-shirt or even a long sleeve shirt. I don't even remember, but it, wasn't, uh, it was not clothing for running any kind of a race. And so they had something called a fun run. They compelled me. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Jordan is the athletic director there at Jasper High School, and he went to church with me, and he said, he said Blake, once you get in here and run the 5K with us, once you run the 5K, I'm like, what are you, <laughs> what are you crazy? I can't even run a fun run. I'm not running a fun run. And, uh, but then I decided, you know what, I guess I will. I'll be a good sport about it. It was a one-mile fun run, okay, not, not a 5K. And so uh, I ran that thing. I was not dressed appropriately by any means. I was in a pair of blue jeans, and I don't even remember if I had on tennis shoes or not, but I probably did because I normally wear tennis shoes everywhere I go. And so uh, I did not do too well, but at the same time when I came back, there was only two people ahead of me. I think it was Anna Pugh. Uh, and her husband Brady and I could I could see them, so I tried to I tried to turn it on, and I, I didn't catch them. But nonetheless, I, I gave it my best shot. But I was not prepared to run that race because I did not come prepared. I also tell you another instance when I was a when I was very young, my brother was playing baseball, and at the end of every baseball practice, they would run the bases. Okay. So my dad, not being on the team, I'm five years younger than my brother, my dad said, Blake, once you run first, and uh, we'll let you start at first base, and we'll give you that head start to see if you can outrun your brother home. And I was like, all right, good deal. I think I can do that. So they got up there, and uh, Scott hit the ball. So I took off running. It didn't matter where they hit it. They were supposed to run the whole way. So they hit that ball, and... Uh, I started booking it. Man, I was running. I was flying. And I was running. I rounded second. And I was about to hit third. And at third base, right about the time I went around third base, I made the mistake. You know what I did? I looked back. I looked back. I was leading Scott by five feet. And then I looked back. And anytime you look back, what happens? You slow down. You slow down. Scott caught me and beat me just passing home plate. Oh, it was so, I was so let down. And Daddy told me, he said, you know why? You know why you lost? Because you looked back. He said, you probably would have beaten him by a step if you would not have looked back. We've got to run our race. We've got to run a race of faith. We've got to run. We've got to know the course. Okay, we've got to know the course. We've got to come prepared for the race. And then we've got to look to the finish line. And when we look to the finish line, we're looking to Christ. Christ is the finish line. It's not death. Death is not the finish line. The finish line is Jesus Christ. So we run this race of faith. I've read the scripture already. It's just two verses. So follow along. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. 
Now we're going to look at this uh, and we're going to walk through this little bit by little bit. I don't really have points on the screen today because we're just going to walk through the scripture. Walk through the scripture. Verses 1 and 2. 12, chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, who this is, I want to explain who this is and who this is not. Okay? Uh, in, in, it is in light of those aforementioned in chapter 11. When we look back to chapter 11 of, of Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we can look back to chapter 11 and we can look at all these folks. We can see Abel. We can see Enoch. We can see Noah. We can see Abraham and Sarah. That's the reason why we don't use fathers. We use the faith of our elders. There's Sarah. There's Rahab that's mentioned. There's all of our elders that are mentioned in chapter 11. Now, on Facebook this week, I asked some folks, I said, hey, tell me, who is someone in your life that exhibited faith? And I can't remember all of them. There were several, and I've already put my phone down there so it wouldn't distract me because I thought I was going to uh, pull that out. But I know of a few that were mentioned. Um, I know Miss um, Dana mentioned Miss Blenda, that she was one that she has always appreciated the walk of faith that Miss Blenda has lived in her life and been a great role model to her in her faith. And many of you, I look around this room, maybe there's someone in your life that modeled the kind of faith and you said, you know what, I see how they live their life of faith. I want to live a life of faith like that. I want to live like that. There's a song on the radio that says that. I want to live like that. And these folks here in chapter 12, verse 1, uh, the author of Hebrews says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and all these people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, they evidence faith and are therefore witnesses to us to see God's faithfulness in and through life. Now, these witnesses are not observing you and me while we are on earth. Okay? Uh, we do not have spectators in our lives from heaven. A lot of people have misconstrued this to think there's some great glorious low-cut fence and, people, and these men and women of faith are leaning over going, oh, look at so-and-so down there doing a great job down there. They're not doing that. They're not doing that. That's a terrible understanding of this text. When people get to heaven, you know what their eyes are fixed on? Jesus Christ. Please don't look at me. I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to fail. I am running this race of faith. But they're not looking at me. They're not looking at you. That, is, that has been totally taken out of context for many years. And many preachers will say, oh, they're looking at you and they're, they're cheering you on. No, they're not. I'm not trying to break, bust your bubble. They're cheering for Jesus. They're in heaven. The author and the finisher of their faith, they saw the line. They crossed the line and they've seen. They've seen the end goal. Now, granted, yes, it would be nice to think they're doing that, but they're not. They're not doing that. No one is longing to peer down and see you and me to see what we're doing. We're constantly desiring. We should be constantly desiring and longing for a homeland, just like the saints of old were. They looked for a city which had its foundations, whose builder and maker was God, and we do the same thing. When we all get to heaven, as the song said, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. My victory is going to be in Christ. My victory is in Christ. It's not in me. 
My victories on this earth are not of me. So why should they look at me? Because my victories are in the one who's already there. So those saints of old, they're not going, oh, you, you achieved a victory. No, Christ achieved that victory. Look to him. You're already there. Look to him. These witnesses have left uh, that witness of faith behind for the glory of seeing their Lord, Savior, friend, and God. That's what they have done. So when we think about this, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, now then, what do we need to do? We need to lay aside every weight. We need to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We need to lay aside every weight. Now, some of you uh, may have done this when you were younger. I don't know. But Brogan and Taryn alike have these things called ankle weights. Y'all ever, ever used ankle weights before? You know, they're cumbersome. You put them around your ankles, and you pull them, and you zip tie them, and you Velcro them back, and you walk, and you, and you walk around, and eventually that's supposed to build up your legs. I did that all day this past Wednesday. You know why? Because I spoke this same text to Lupton Junior High School. I spoke this same text to the Baptist Campus Ministry down at Bevel State Wednesday. I said, I'm not going to wear myself out teaching three different lessons. I'm going to teach them what the Lord has given me to preach on Sunday morning. So I wore those ankle weights all day long. When I took those off that evening, boy, my legs felt so lightweight. Well, I could have ran a whole lot faster. I wished I could say I could pick my feet up higher, but the cat scratching thing in the hallway says that's not true because I kicked it on the way down the hallway. So it didn't help me to pick my feet up very high. But anyway, so we, we lay aside every weight. The author of Hebrews is clearly speaking toward these things that are good, but in the race of faith are sometimes cumbersome and hindrances. These are things such as our past. We carry so much of what Christ has removed that our present and future run is slowed and stopped. We carry so much of our past. And it's not easy moving past our weights, but we must. There are also weights that are intended to help us run. As I mentioned about the ankle weights, they help us run. There are things in life that help us run this race. And, and that's the reason why there's two different descriptions here. It says, let us throw off all the weights that hinder us, that slow us down. It says, let us lay aside every weight, and that's different than the sin. Not everything that hinders our run of faith is bad. Not everything that hinders our run of faith is bad. You know, family's good, but sometimes family hinders our run of faith. Education is good. Students need to get, get their education. It's good, but sometimes education can hinder their run of faith. Our jobs are good. You need to have a job. If you're of age where you can work and can work or haven't already retired, you need to work. But sometimes your job can hinder your run of faith. We need to lay aside those things. We need to lay aside the things that, that are weights that hinder us from running our race. So, um, uh, you know, I've, I've never been a runner. Never been a runner. Now, I have ran a few times. I've ran for purposes, you know, to get away from someone, uh, you know, things of that nature. I've ran before. And, but I have been a basketball player. I played basketball all through my uh, high school, middle school, high school years. Played a little bit in elementary school, not much, but some. And in basketball, we had to have endurance to make it through a game. We had to have endurance to make it through the game. And most of our workouts were conditioning. A lot of our workouts were conditioning. We had run things called killers or suicides. Some of y'all maybe know what that is. Any of y'all know what that is? Okay. 
Well, in basketball, what you had to do was you would start at the, uh, the out-of-bounds line, and you'd run to the free-throw line and back. You'd run to the half-court line and back. You'd run the other free-throw line and back. You'd run all the way down to the other end, out-of-bounds line, and you'd run back. That's one. You'd run killers or suicides. And based upon how pitiful you were in practice, you ran more. Or if you lost the game the day before, whatever it may be. It was, it was punishment, discipline, and all those things wrapped up into one. And you ran them. And if you were lazy, you ran another one. Because say, run them again. I did it to my kids in upper basketball. I know you'll probably think, over oh, basketball is supposed to be all about encouraging. I am. I'm encouraging them to run. I'm encouraging them to get in shape. I'm encouraging them to have endurance to make it all the way through those six periods that we have in upper basketball. I would condition them. And so the purpose of that was to build our stamina because games were sometimes long. Sometimes you would go and you'd be tied at the end of regulation, so you'd have to go into overtime. And the most talented teams may not make it through the game, but the best conditioned teams would. It wasn't always the most talented teams that won the game. Sometimes it was the most conditioned teams. The ones who could make it, who still weren't huffing and puffing and standing there at the free throw line, you know? I mean, you're straight up. You've got enough energy where you could box that person out. You had enough energy to continue to run that basketball game, to run that court because you were conditioned and prepared for it. How do we condition ourselves? You know, we condition ourselves by praying, have a consistent prayer life. We need to wake up and have a prayer life. Before we go to bed, we need to have a prayer life. Last night, I don't know how many times I woke up. I woke five or six times. So every time I wake up, I was like, Lord, help me. I pray for tomorrow. I prayed several times about today. I was praying about, I don't know if the Lord was just, if, if it was uh, the Lord waking me up. I believe it was because I was praying about today. But also, uh, as I mentioned, I hit my toe the other night. So I kept thinking maybe every time I turned, maybe I was afraid I was going to hurt myself. But I, I was like, every time I wake up, though, I pray. And I pray. I say, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you. Lord, I pray for tomorrow. I pray for our Sunday school classes. And then I go back to sleep. Lord, I pray for my sermon. Pray for our singing. Pray for our giving. I pray for all these things. And so, uh, the Lord, I was trying to condition myself even while I slept. We need to be people who pray. We need to condition ourselves to pray. We need to condition ourselves to be in the Word of God. I think it's one of the most... Uh, one of the most easily forsaken disciplines that we do is we're not in the Word of God often enough. And then we say, I ain't got time. I think your Facebook feed would argue different than that. I think our time, if you've got an iPhone that pops up on Sunday mornings at the most, the most convicting time of all, right before Sunday morning service, and tells you how long you've been on your phone each day on average a week, pops up and says, but where's your time with the Lord? Where's your time with the Lord? We got to condition ourselves. We got to be in the Word of God. We need to be praying. We need to be giving, not just of ourselves. Yes, we need to be giving of our times. There's places to serve in the church. I know we've got the Fall Fest sign up. We're going to talk about that in that meeting. But there's places you can serve. We need to be giving ourselves. We need to be giving financially. We need to be giving physically of ourselves, being the hands and feet of God through this body of believers so people may come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've got to condition ourselves. We need to throw off the weights that hinder us from not serving the Lord. We've got to be serving the Lord. Now, these weights could be anything that hinders us. It could be our feelings. It could be our hobbies, our families, our work, our devices, 
our desire to be liked. We must not look to those things or allow those things to possess us. For these, in their context, they were carrying with them Jewish legalism, rabbinic tradition, dead works and dead weight. That's what they were carrying with them, the Hebrews to which uh, the author was writing here. It was hard for them to let those things go. It was. The Sabbath observances was a problem. Paul writes of this. He tells them that shadow goes away when substance arrives. Paul wrote the same thing in Galatians. The author is letting them know they should leave those things behind. We have got to leave the things that hinder us, the, the weights. We've got to lay them aside. And then the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, sin is those things we choose that are clearly stopping our run. Sin are those things that are stopping our run. Sin are the things that bring us to a point of being sat down instead of running the race. It's very Jonah-like. Consider Jonah and how his prejudice against the people of Nineveh caused such discipline and chastisement from God. It wasn't until he cried out in the belly of the great fish that he truly began his run in God's will. Because before, what was he doing? He's running away from God's will. But in the belly of the great fish, he prayed, and then he ran the race in God's will. We need to run the race in God's will, not away from it. We need to run the race in God's will. And until we recognize the hindrances and sins in our lives, our race will be slow, hindered, and unproductive. We wonder a lot of times, why do people not come to faith in Jesus Christ? Why, do, why are my friends not coming to faith? Why are my friends not coming to church? What are we doing with our lives? Does our, does our words reflect a changed heart in Christ? Does it reveal that we truly have faith in Jesus Christ? Are we more concerned and fearful of man or are we more concerned and fearful of God? Are we sharing the gospel or are we staving the gospel, keeping people from getting it? Oh, I can't talk about that right now. Why not? Why not? It's only eternity. It could only be a day away. It could be one heartbeat away. We need to be faithful in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes on there to say, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This race cannot be run in a moment or as a sprint. You most likely have heard something like this before. You probably have if you've ever heard this. Many, many pastors talk about this is not a sprint, the race of faith. It's a marathon. It's a 5K. Running a literal 5K race with endurance is something that is only learned by beginning. You could talk about it. You say couch to 5K. Yeah, but from the couch to 5K, you got to begin. You got to begin. You know, many times when we've come back from youth camps with students, and I've heard students say, oh, I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes every day this week. No, you're not. I love you to death, but no, you're not. Why don't you just say, I'm going to read the Bible for five minutes? Five minutes, Okay. And then once you've done that consistently for a few days, then say, I'm going to read the Bible for 10 minutes. And it might take you a whole month or two months to read the Bible for more than 10 minutes at a time because you've never done it faithfully before. Don't try to bite off more than you can chew. Don't run a sprint. Run a marathon. Prepare yourself for that. Prepare yourself for that. You know, I think about going back to that illustration I was telling you about when I ran that fun run fun run. 
<clears throat> there's nothing fun about that run, but when, when you think about that, you know, you're not going, and, and you talk to any cross-country runner, they're not going to run in blue jeans. They're not going to have their cell phone tucked in their back pocket. They're not going to have a big gaudy watch on their arm. They're, you know, they're, they're going to try to cut off. Matter of fact, many, many runners, they'll shave their arm hairs and they'll shave their leg hairs. They wear the thinnest shorts, the shortest shorts. They wear the thinnest shirts and the lightest shirts they can wear. Why is that? So that all the resistance that hinders them from running is gone as much as they can. If you watch those Ironman uh, runs, most of the time they're not, the, uh, if it's a men's Ironman, a lot of times they're not even wearing a shirt. They've got like just little video shorts on and they're running. And they ain't got any hair on their chest, their back, their arms, their fingers. You know what I mean? They, they shaved it all off because they, they want to get every single, every single chance to gain one more second will help them win that race. Why are we not like that in our faith today? We're not cutting away all these different things. If anything, we add more things. We think busyness is a virtue. And in that busyness, we're cutting out all the things of Christ. And I'm as guilty as anybody at different times. We, we don't need to add more to our schedule. We need to add more Christ to our lives. Don't add another thing to do. Now, you may say, well, didn't you just talk about us serving in the church and now you're telling us not to add things? On those sheets when we sign up, I try to tell people, don't sign up for more than three things, don't I? Because there's times in a church, man, you can end up with one person on eight committees. Now, really, don't get me wrong. Some committees are real... Uh, they don't require a ton of, I mean, like, say, for example, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to chop down anybody, but there's, there's, anyway, I'm not going to say any, for example, because somebody's going to get their feelings hurt, all right? But there's, there's some committees that are very random, okay? They don't occur. They might occur once, maybe twice a year or four times a year, you know what I mean? And yet, I signed up for that committee, so I, you know, I can't do anything else. Really? Really? The only, there's only about four committees that I would say that I, and that I would say that requires year-round, and that's your youth committee, your children's committee, men's and women's committees. Those four right there should require like all year-round. The personnel committee and uh, probably benevolence because benevolence people are always needing assistance. So you need people on those committees. But the rest of them are kind of like for specific things. But we need everybody in all those positions. We've got to run the race. Running with endurance in a literal race uh, it, it takes all those things that I just said, trimming everything down. And that's the way the runner is to run. And we are to run that way. Endurance is defined as the ability to last or stand pain. To be able to stand pain or to be able to last. This race we run was never explained or given in the mindset of ease. It was never given in that way. This race of faith is one that is long and tedious. The race of faith is one that we may see victory and we may see losses. And all we got to do is go back one chapter because it says therefore. We got to go back one chapter and we'll see all the victories that those guys had, but then you see all the times they went through hardships, tortures, uh, not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection, trials of mockery, scourging, chains, imprisonment, stone cut in two. You see that. This race of faith is one that we may see victory and we may see losses. Ultimately, though, this race in faith will be victorious because our example, Jesus Christ. He ran the race set before him with endurance, and by throwing off all the things that could have entangled him, he still ran the race. 
He still ran the race. He did not allow his mothers and his brothers to hinder him. We see that in Mark 3, 31 through 35. He didn't let the work of the religious hinder him. We see that in Mark 8, 11 and 12. And he didn't let the abandonment, treachery, and denial from friends hinder him either. In Mark 14, 10 and 11, in chapter 14, 16, 66 through 72. He didn't let those things hinder him in running the race, and we should not either. We should not either. And we see Jesus, and he is the answer to our next section. We look to Jesus. How and why do we lay aside and run faithfully this race? It says there in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So to look to Jesus, this literally means in the original language, look away to Jesus. Look away to Jesus. When we cast off, lay aside, or strip off the weights that hinder us or slow us down and the sins that ensnare or trap us up, we are looking away from those things and looking to Jesus. Look away from those things. Look away from them. One pastor I heard preach this sermon, he spoke on how when he was a runner, when he was younger, when he looked at his feet, he inevitably would trip. He would inevitably trip. We must quit looking at what we're doing and look at what Christ has done. We must quit looking at what we're doing and start looking at what Christ has done. We need to do as 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us to do, to gaze on his glory and be transformed into his image from one level of glory to the next. It's what we need to do. Now, who is this that we're looking to? Who is this Jesus? He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the creator and the fulfillment of our race of faith. He is our example in the race and the goal of the race. He is the example and the goal and uh, we must fix our eyes on him. We must fix our eyes on him. The world will desire you to look away. And not just desire, but lure you to look away from Christ. But we must look away to Christ and away from this world. We got to look away to Christ and away from this world. This world tells us there is no truth. And in that, and in our culture today, you can look around and you can see that from the way the attack is on Christianity. And, and it just, it's just so disturbing. So disturbing. Uh, and, it's, and it's gotten to where, you know, the world is telling you there's this extreme. And in the process of you accepting the extreme, just a little bit of the immoral can be accepted. Oh, and then here's the next extreme. So what does that do? Oh, just the next step of immorality is okay. That's what the world's telling us. And the world wants us to look away from Christ. The world tells us there's no truth. There's no binary genders of male and female. There's no voice of the parent in the schooling of our children. There's no place for your God in the workplace or the schoolhouse. The world tells us lies. The world tells us lies. We fix our eyes on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We look at him. We look to him. 
And then we look to him who, for the joy that was set before him. Jesus saw joy as obediently fulfilling his purpose in salvation. Jesus saw joy as obedient fulfillment, obediently fulfilling his purpose in salvation. So what did he do? In joy, he endured the cross. Now, again, this same idea is carried over from the endurance of a race to Christ's enduring of the cross. He did not endure it for his own pleasure or his own sin. Rather, he endured the cross for obedience to the Father and his plan of salvation for mankind. His endurance was for our benefit and God's glory. There was not joy in the cross. There was joy in the, in the purpose of obeying his Father in the cross. In joy, Christ despised the shame. The Old Testament gives us this understanding of Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23. It says, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed, who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. That's what Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23 says. Jesus committed no sin, but yet was hung on the tree. He was hung on the cross. Jesus' body was removed and buried, but he was hung on the cross for our sins. He was accursed for our sins. He was beaten, mocked, humiliated, and murdered on the cross for our sins. That's what he was on the cross for. He endured the shame. He did not find joy in the cross itself. Christ Jesus actually requested a different way. If there was one through the Father's will, he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And continuing in Luke 22, it's recorded, and being in great agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There was no joy in the act of the cross for Christ, but there was joy in the work of of the, of the cross for Christ. There was joy in the work of the cross for Christ because His work in the cross was obedience to the Father for His glory and for man's salvation. There was no joy in the cross. He didn't want to go to the cross. He knew as man that that was going to be terrible. But yet, he chose the way of the Father, God's will over his own. He found joy in his purpose. We need to find joy in our purpose. We find so many things to complain about, church, each one of us, me included. We need to quit looking for the opportunities to complain and start looking for the opportunities to express joy. Christ knew the joy that would come through the endurance of the cross. Christ knew the joy that would come through the despising of the shame of the cross. And Christ knew the joy of when all that was done, that he would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew it. Upon his completion of the work, Christ returned to his proper place of worship at the right hand of the Father. 
in joy, Christ could see from his obedience and fulfillment of the Father's will that man now had a way back to a right relationship with the Father. Jesus saw that. And that was the joy that was said before him. John records it in this way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus' modeling of faithfulness in the race of life revealed the path of righteousness for those who would follow. That's you and I. His race of faith. And we must know the course. Our course was first set by the Old Testament elders of faith. We see that when we look at Abel and Enoch and Moses and Abraham and Sarah and, and Rahab and Gideon and Joseph and Jacob and, and Isaac. We see that in all of them. Gideon and Jephthah and all of them. We see that evidence of faith. Our course was set first by the Old Testament elders of faith. We must prepare for the race. We've got to throw off these things that hinder us. We've got to throw off the sin that so easily entangles or ensnares us. We've got to get away from it. We got to get away from it. Throw it off. If you know that environment, if you know that friend group, if you know that website, if you know that group uh, at the workplace, you know those things are pulling you away from Christ. Get away from them. Throw them off. Cast them aside. Cast them aside. We prepare by throwing off all the weights that hinder and the sins that trip us up. We must look to the finish which was achieved in Christ Jesus and is. Christ Jesus. We look to him, the author and the finisher of our faith. So let me ask you today, where are you in your race? Are you running away from God? Are you pulling a, a first half Jonah? Or are you pulling the second half of Jonah where you need to cry out from inside of wherever it is that you are far from God's will and you say, God, forgive me, save me. I need to be saved. I'm ready to do your will. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you today in your race? Have you began your race of faith in faith? Come to Christ. He knows the course. He knows the course. He can prepare you. Apart from Christ, you can't really get prepared for the race. You come and Christ will, will prepare you. It's called sanctification. It's cutting away the things of the world so that you may run for the things of the word sanctification. He can prepare you and he can be the one you have forever to look to. Not only will you be looking to him, he'll be running with you. I, I encourage you today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, come to him. Begin your race of faith. Follow him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is a gift of God in Christ Jesus. Today, you can begin your race of faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, I encourage you today, throw off, throw off the weight of this. My past keeps me from coming to Christ. My hurts keep me from coming to Christ. The way I was raised keeps me from coming to Christ. No, it don't. Jesus is right there with you. He's speaking to your heart today. And if you know you're a sinner, Christ says, do this. If you will confess your sins to me, 
I am faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Come to him today.